You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And joining me on this episode is Will Miles. You can find him at his site, readandreaction.com, and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. And joining us for this early signing day preview is Corey Bender from the rival site Gators Territory. Gentlemen, welcome. We'll start with you, man. Uh, it's uh, shopping for grocery season. <laughs> it's recruiting season. It's time to argue about things and get everybody mad. Certainly a polarizing uh, polarizing topic, but we got an expert on to, to let us know what's what. Absolutely, absolutely. Corey, man, uh, thank you for Gators Territory. As I said earlier, Corey, thanks, thanks for uh, hopping on Gators Breakdown, man. No, absolutely, Dave. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate that. No problem, no problem. We'll get right into all the all the storylines uh, surrounding Gators re- recruiting. But uh, before we do, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll get all the Gators Breakdown episodes there, as well as News for Jacks coverage of the Gators. Also, listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, whichever way you prefer to get Gators Breakdown. All those avenues are out there for you. And also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Gators breakdown. So here we go. The Gators have the number six class on rivals right now with 24 commits. And part of that rise has been because of a few recent additions to the class, three commits in the month of uh, December for the Gators as they race towards the early signing period. And let's start with a couple of commitments from this past Friday, Corey, and the Gators get two flips from SEC East rivals here. Uh, Sam Pittman leaves the uh, offensive line coach role for the Georgia Bulldogs uh, to uh, take the Arkansas head coaching position, and that rubs offensive lineman Joshua Braun the wrong way. He decommits from Georgia and was assumed uh, with the already great relationship he had with Florida offensive line coach John Hevesy that he'd end up at Florida. Friday morning rolls around, and Braun commits to the Gators, and already practicing with the team during bowl prep. And, you know, this couldn't have worked out better for Florida because this was already a big position of need for the Gators. And with highly rated Isaiah Walker already committed at the other uh, tackle spot, you know, the Gators have there, uh, Florida gets another top offensive tackle with Braun. You know, 6'6", 335, 26th-ranked offensive tackle, 45th-ranked player in the state of Florida. Corey, we saw the struggles uh, of the Florida offensive line this past season, and with four already committed, adding bronze a step in the right direction for improving uh, that 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 position group. Yeah, with Braun, I mean, you're getting an old school type of mauler in the trenches. I mean, he's an aggressive kid that you know he's always pumping his legs until the whistle's blown. 
um, is always looking to put defenders on their backside. And more often than not, that definitely happens. And um, he's one of those guys that comes in and goes to work. You know what I mean? He doesn't, like he says, there wasn't much drama you know, surrounding his recruitment either. Like I say, he's one of those kids who just likes to clock in. You know, he does what the coaches ask for him. You know, um, he's one of those old-school type of mother offensive linemen. We have him rated you know, as a tackle, but I think over the long haul, I think he'll definitely shift inside the guard. Um, he definitely has good feet. You know, he's a tennis player. A kid of that size is impressive, you know, the way he moves around. But I just think his natural skill set, I think he'll transition better inside. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, he's already in bowl practices. Um, you know, he's one – John Hevesy played a big factor in his recruitment. And um, like you said, you know, it was down to Georgia and Florida. South Carolina was in there too, but it really came down to Georgia and Florida. Um, it was a very close battle at first. So that's why once he reopened his recruitment, you know, all eyes went to Florida. And I think he's a guy, you know, he has sheer size, um, very strong kid naturally. He's only going to get better uh, get, only get better under Nick Savage's, you know, under his guidance. And I think once his flexibility improves and, I think this. I think, like I said, this guy has a very high ceiling, especially inside. He's an aggressive kid, very strong at the point of attack, and you know, at a position indeed. And just having him on campus this early, it's going to make things interesting going into next season because he already has a size. He has a good work ethic, um, and like I said, he has that aggressive style that Coach Havasi loves in the trenches. And before I let Will jump in here too, let's get to the other Friday uh, commit. And this one happened late Friday night as Florida fifty. Florida flips defensive back uh, safety Mordecai Daniel from Tennessee, uh, the Washington, D.C. native, the 32nd ranked safety on rivals in the class of 2020. 61195, a physical speedster uh, is kind of what I've seen him labeled as so far. So, Corey, this has been in the works for a couple of weeks. We thought it might happen a couple of weeks ago, uh, but Mick Daniel uh, spurns the volunteers for the Gators. Yeah, he officially visited earlier this year. He's a well reserved kid, doesn't really talk much about his recruitment. So like you said, it was kind of back and forth during this home stretch, a lot of guessing and when's he going to commit. And, you know, they actually, Dan Mullen and Torian Gray, they had an in-home visit with them, you know, about a week and a half ago. And that all went really, very well, obviously. Um, and like you said, it was kind of a wait and see to see when you'd actually really go ahead and pull the trigger. Um, with him, like he's a, he's a special teams ace, both in the return game, but also as a gunner running down the field, very physical, um, has a lot of energy, always has that motor. Every time I've watched a lot of this full highlight clips, not just highlight clips, but his full game films, just kind of tracking the way he moves throughout a game. You know, that motor is always running. Um, and I think once he gets the proper coaching, like I said, he's more raw right now as a pure safety. Um, he comes in the box, very physical, does a good job of wrapping up. But as far as just his, um, you know, his awareness and coverage and stuff like that, he definitely um, has some ways to go. But, you know, he's a guy I think could definitely see the field fairly early, especially on special teams. Um, he's very well, you know, as a returner, good vision. Um, he's patient behind his blocks as well. But, you know, you have to love his physicality when right down the field and making tackles as well. And, um, you know, with the proper coaching, like I said, I think he has a high upside. And I think the way you labeled him is the right way. He's more of a, he's a speedy kid with upside. Um, he definitely passes the eye test, good physicality. But now it's just about putting it all together, you know, doing some more technical things. Um, you know, sticking his hips in his back pedal. You know, get a little bit more flexible. It's just things like that. And that will only come over time, you know, work with Nick Savage, just, you know, growing into his body more, getting stronger. And, yeah, he's a kid with a nice upside to him. I, before we would jump in right here, it's funny you mentioned a special teams guy because, Will, if anybody listens to this podcast enough, everybody knows Will likes looking at young guys who can get on the field on special teams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. No, that's the first thing that sticks out. I mean, most of his highlight tape, you know, the first minute, minute and a half is all special teams. And, uh, and that's where and then you get to a safety film. You, like I said, he has a lot of attributes. He checks off a lot of boxes. But, um, yeah, like I know Florida safety going forward, I know they're going to be replacing some people. I just I think you give him a year, year and a half or so as far as his pure safety. And I think, like you said, with proper coaching, I think definitely could be a good one for the Gators. 
Yeah, well, you know, obviously these two guys are recent additions to the class, but I'm wondering who you think the can't-miss prospects in this 2020 class are for Florida and who has the potential to contribute right away for the Gators. Yeah, as far as can't-miss guys, as far as uncommitted, I think we'll start with Tim Smith. Um, you know, he's a longtime target. I think we all know where that's been. He's been committed to Alabama for a while, um, you know, but he's been on Florida much more. You know, I think he's been, I think, eight times compared to – Alabama less than a handful of times. And, you know, as of right now, I have him penciled in to flip the Florida. We'll see how it all plays out over the next 24 hours or so. Uh, but he's obviously the can't-miss guy just based off how long they've been recruiting him, how much they've put into this. And then, obviously, they're replacing a lot of bodies along the defensive front. So, you know, having him in the fold, I think he's the can't-miss. But as far as two other guys that aren't committed, I'm going to kind of group these together. Uh, but Jameer Gibbs and Henry Paris are running backs. And I just think the way right now, the way the running back board is shaping up, you know, EJ Smith, there was some kind of, there's a little bit of Florida buzz going on earlier this week, but I'm not expecting him in Florida's class based off, you know, everything I'm hearing as of today. Uh, but it just goes to show, you know, Florida needs a running back in this class. It's been obviously one of the more popular um, positions, obviously, you know, in relation to this class. So I think Jameer Gibbs and Henry Paris, those are two. I'm going to group those together as two. Just it's more of a position that needs as running back, and those are the two main guys on the board. Um, but as far as early contributors, going back to the guys that already committed to Florida, um, Isaiah Walker, I'm a big fan of Isaiah Walker. I think just personally, on my opinion, I think we have him rated quite a little bit too low. I think he's, I actually think in my personal opinion, I think he's closer to a rivals of 100 guy. I really love the senior film. He was adding uh, really good weight, but he's still fairly lean, not a lot of bad weight at all. He always slides his feet effortlessly. I think at right tackle with him contributing and coming in early, I think he's a dark horse for that right tackle position. And I know I'm not a big fan of having, true freshmen see the field or anything like that when it comes to offensive line. That's just kind of the way I've always viewed it, unless you have to. Uh, but as of right now, he's closer, right around 300 pounds, but he's really made strides over the last year, and I think he's one guy that definitely could see the, the field if he does all the things asked of. And you don't want to see that because you want some of these upperclassmen to step up, but that's just the way I view him. And um, Josh Brown's another one, just based off, I think you hit it, Dave, right when we started, you know, that being a position in need. And he just fits in here, especially if you put him inside, um, just to kind of rely on his strength. I think overall, I think he's a guy, if they need to rely on him, I think overall with him being on campus, that's something to look up, look on. Um, but then Derek Wingo and Gervon Dexter, I just think Gervon Dexter definitely passes the eye test. You know, he's a strong kid. I, he has to get better as far as just more go-to moves, more technical, but he's made a lot of strides in that as well, in that department. Uh, but those are four guys that, you know, Derek Wingo, he's another one I can't really say enough good things about. I think he has the potential to be, a captain type, you know, for the Gators. You know, I mean, off the field, he's a great kid, but, you know, he's closer to almost 6'2 right now, about 220, about 215, you know, really good size. Instincts are really, very well. Um, he plays more of that buck role for his high school team. You know, he's real – he wreaks havoc off the edge, and, you know, I think it's about 15 sacks he posted this year, r- roughly right around there. But as him as a traditional linebacker, I just think he's another one to kind of keep an eye on as, you know, possibly you could see the field. Corey – you mentioned running back and, and kind of what's going on there. You know, look, all the visits mm-hmm. have, been, have been taken for players that, that want to sign early in this early signing period. And, you know, Florida doesn't really look that they have many more open spots available either. So you mentioned the yeah. latest at running back. And now you, I think we can also look at the wide receiver position. You know, it seems to, it looks on the surface, you know, that Florida's missed uh, their, their top guys, especially at running back. They've missed their top guys at running back the way it looks right now. Yeah. 
I don't think one signs this Wednesday, especially the two that you mentioned earlier with, get, with Gibbs and Parrish. We know we'll have to wait on those guys. Uh, Xavier Henderson doesn't seem to be trending for Florida right now at receiver. So, you know, while this defensive class has some elite talent, you, you have a head coach that is offensive-minded in Dan Mullen and, and assistants that are known as great developers. Uh, but, you know, in looking at skill players, you know, Florida, Florida has some work to do there. No, absolutely. Yeah, there's been a lot of question marks, and that's the thing, too. There's been a lot of guys linked to that running back position. Even, you know, Michael Drennan, who's from Ohio, that came back for Friday Night Lights. There's been so many names that you look upon, but I think, in my personal opinion, it's almost, you know, as far as Ford's approach, they almost, like, all eggs were in the one basket. I mean, everyone wants Bowman, but like I said, it's always been back and forth, and that's not going to happen. Um, it's just, yeah, there's a lot of work to do. They struck out a lot of the targets. As far as Xavier Henderson, um, I have him right now going to Clemson as well. Um, Malik Heath. I thought after Malik Heath's official visit, the receiver who's been committed to Mississippi, uh, Mississippi State for quite some time. I thought Florida was, you know, trending pretty well after that visit. But I know there's some work to do as far as getting them in. You know, as far as a mid-year enrollee, that's been kind of the the hang-up with that. And I know there has been mutual interest, and interest has been high on his side. Um, but that's another situation where I thought a lot of people, including myself for a while, thought he was going to be one that definitely end up in this class. But that's another little nick they came across and. Yeah, I think as far as the other top guys, there's definitely some work to do. And with running back, um, definitely Jameer Gibbs, you know, I mean, who's obviously probably the top target and now running back, you know, until Bowman officially signed, I just have to throw it out there. Um, he's still a very, very productive player, one of the best running backs in the country. And I think his senior year showed that. That's just going to be another one. It's not going to be easy. That's the thing, too. There's still good backs on the board, and there's still good players on the board. But especially at running back, it's not going to be as easy as people think. You know, Henry Pierce, um, with Ole Miss getting in the picture now, he has a really good relationship with Kevin Smith, who is a running backs coach at FAU who followed Lane Kiffin to Oxford. I know they're trending pretty well with him, too. Florida, obviously, is still right in there. And, you know, Henry might be on campus on January 24th. It's not finalized yet, but that official visit date's been thrown around, and Gibbs will be on campus that weekend, too. So, I know with most of the kids signing, all but four kids, I believe, are um, signing during the early signing period. So Florida can turn a lot of attention and roll up that red carpet for those select few that are left in January. And those are the two guys that definitely come to mind as far as you know, Florida really prioritizing. But it's not going to be easy. Quickly on offense before, and start, since we're talking about skill players, before I go to defense, Sam Brown announces he is going to announce on uh, Wednesday, and that looked to be a good sign for Florida. If he was going to make the decision early with recent offers from Ole Miss and Georgia, uh, if he was going to announce Wednesday, most seem that that's a, a good trend for Florida. No, absolutely. And this has been an interesting one. So I submitted my future cast prediction in favor of Florida this afternoon. Um, and this is the one going in. West Virginia has been a school that – is basically, I, I believe it's going to come down to West Virginia and Florida, but I've heard some West Virginia buzz too. You know, there's three other, there's a few receivers on West Virginia's team that's from his area in Georgia that he's very close with. And he took a visit up to Morgantown too, and he loved that visit. And prior to the Ole Miss, Georgia, and Florida offers, if it wasn't for those three, I'd be fairly confident that that's where he would have ended up because they, they, like I said, the family's been on board with West Virginia, and obviously the kid had a great time up there. But as of right now, based off the conversation I've been having with people today, um, you know, Florida's fairly confident as far as reeling him in. Um, really good length. And this is a kid's been blown up. If you look at his senior film, I'm surprised more schools didn't jump on him earlier. Um, he's a kid still, I mean, he's committed to UCF. He had some good offers on the table. But he's one who is definitely, in my opinion, under-recruited. Um, and then going into the decision, I think this one's a lot closer than what many people think. Um, it still wouldn't shock me if it was West Virginia because I talked to someone in, that's somewhat close to his family, and they're, they're still hearing as far as this afternoon. You know, some good buzz surrounding West Virginia and their chances. 
Um, and then I spoke to someone else that's more tied in the West Virginia side, and they said there's definitely some some worry up in Morgantown as far as this last-minute visit, you know, the Florida. They're not as confident as they were before. Um, I have Florida right now. That's my prediction, but I definitely think it's a very close one and, you know, closer one than what many think. All right, that'll be one to watch Wednesday afternoon and a couple more to watch. A lot of big decisions looming uh, to make this defensive class even better. Uh, defensive tackles, we've already brought them up. You know, Timothy Smith committed to Alabama. Uh, one, Clyde Pender committed to North Carolina, another one to watch out for. And then defensive end Donnell Harris is committed to Texas A&M. Look, all those guys will just, you know, have to decide if they want to flip to Florida. Florida's got some good chances here on Wednesday. Corey, if this happens, you're looking at an elite defensive class. You know, it's already really good. It's already well above average. But, you know, flipping these guys or even just a couple of these guys, you know, it would make for one of the best defensive classes in the country. Uh, And also, you know, I started this episode talking about, you know, some recent commits. And the other one that was in December was Jalen Lee. So, you know, Florida is really, really loading up on this defensive side of the ball. Yeah, especially in the trenches. And right now, and I was told right after all this was all going on when GLD was rumored to you know, commit to Florida, a lot of people said, are they actually going to take all these guys? And then I was told, go load up as many, load up on as many defensive linemen as possible as far as, you know, the Holly Talent, their top targets. And that's still the case. They definitely would, from what I'm hearing, they definitely would take Smith and Pinder. Um, right now, I'm definitely, Florida's my choice for, for Smith, as I know it before. Pinder, I'm more kind of 50 50 on. Um, North Carolina, if I had to decide right now, I'd probably submit it for North Carolina based on conversations I had today. That one's very, very close because Pinder does a good job of not revealing too much. He's very well reserved about the recruiting process. Doesn't really get out there and try to like make people guess and try to get out there as far as the recruiting drama. Um, but Smith and Pinder, those are obviously two the, the two top guys in the trenches right now, especially now that Jalen Lee um, is basically committed. And Denal Harris, I mean, he's a trench guy, but more of a he could be a stand-up guy, more of a buck. Um, but, you know, with Denell Harris, that's the one that's the closest one. It wouldn't shock me if it's, you know, Florida or Texas A&M. You know, I've heard from sources from both sides that, you know, both schools are confident. There's a lot that goes into this. And it's one of those ones where I, I'm going to be submitting my final predictions tomorrow night. And this is the, the one out of all the, uh, you know, top targets Florida's going after. The one I'm probably the most unsure about as far as which, which way is he really going to lean. You know, Texas A&M just got my campus. So if you're Aggies fans, you would think that would definitely suit them well. Uh, but, you know, Florida definitely has picked up their pursuit in recent weeks, especially after he visited, you know, for the Vanderbilt game. Um, so it's going to be very interesting. Those are the three guys on top. If, yeah, like you said, they're ranked number six right now. I believe they'll finish in the top five just based off even a few of the guys they land. Um, even if they land Sam Brown and, you know, Tim Smith or a combination of the other two, I still believe Florida will eventually just push up to that top five range. And like you said, it, it has a, the potential to be an elite, elite class, especially in the trenches. Um, you know, multiple, you know, rivals 250 defensive tackles. You got talent on the edge. Um, and then adding a guy like Smith, who has, you know, arguably been the top target, you know, since the summertime and well before that um, would be, you know, the icing on the cake. And, you know, as of right now, Ford is my prediction for Smith. So Dan Mullins really had a lot of success the last couple of years from a high-level recruiting perspective on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, you think of last year, you got Chris Steele, Kair Elam, Tyron Hopper, sort of the top tier of that class. And this year, you've got Dexter, Wingo, Rodgers, and Pouncey. Is is that because they've made that an area of emphasis? Or are there other things, you know, is, is it just they're better recruiters on the side of the ball? Why is it that at least the last two classes, Florida has been so defensive heavy? Yeah, I think part of it too. I think if you look at wide receiver, at wide receiver this year, there's been so much depth, you know, based off this year. So you go back to last year's class. I just think there's a few of the positions 
that obviously Florida was going for the top dog for each of those positions, but they weren't going to just settle on anyone. So they were more picky with those positions. So I wouldn't say they weren't, they were recruiting defense a little bit more. I just think they're a little bit just more picky as far as the top targets they've had over the last couple of years. But, but you have to also say with David Turner, that's like one staff member. I think it's just, I think now he's finally getting credited for the, the work he's done, the relationship building that, you know, he's been doing on the recruiting trail. Um, obviously they do have some top notch recruiters on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I mean, Torian Gray, obviously, even before, you know, his first thing in Gainesville, people knew that he goes, he leaves and goes back and that just kind of picked up where it left off before. But I think a lot of it just has to do with, you know, just position and need, you know, that's honestly what it is. I think with receiver and running back, there wasn't obviously with Naquan, right. When he came in late in the class, Florida was recruiting him really, Florida was recruiting him hard, but if they would have not reeled him in, I don't think it would have been that, that big of a miss to the class. Um, but based off this year, just I think it's more position need, but also I think it's a good mixture of just the coaches, but also position and need. It's just a good mixture of both, and it's just one of those situations where both of those kind of meet at the same time for these last two classes. And then obviously Mullen has bringing is bringing in a punter in this class, Jeremy Crawshaw. Um, you know, is he going to be able to step right in for Townsend? There's obviously been sort of a a history of really good punters at Florida. I'm curious how Crawshaw fits into that. Yeah, definitely. I think with him too, his, as far as his his power is the one thing that sticks out. When we actually when he committed, it was kind of an under the radar official visit when he came in. It all happened fairly quickly. Uh, but no, based off of what I talked to a few people shortly after he committed, and that's the plan. They see him as a guy that can definitely come in. Um, there's some still some things to learn as far as American side, as far as the punting, and there's some technical things he'll have to work on. But as far as raw punting ability, you no. Know, as far as based off conversations I've had then and closer to now with him really enrolling. Um, that's the plan. They're hoping he's a guy who can kind of take off, you know, as soon as he gets to campus and having him on campus early, obviously that's a huge, a huge thing for them. You know what I mean? There's going to be some technical stuff and some stuff to work on with him, but as far as their expectations, that is the plan to hopefully get him on the, uh, on the field sooner than later. Corey, uh, looking at, uh, let's look ahead just for, uh, for a second. What should we look out for in the 2021 class? Uh, this 2020 class is filled with deep talent on defense and, you know, we'll just kind of hit on it. You know, what, you know, what makes the defensive side, you know, uh, of the recruiting so good. And look, we discussed skilled players earlier, but you know, this is the class that is, is the 2021 a class that needs to be hit hard on the offensive side of the ball. I, I'm a big believer in getting a quarterback in every class. You know, that class is already headlined by uh, Carlos Del Rio at quarterback. Yeah. Carlos Del Rio, he's one guy that, you know, he's in our, he's in our second two phase, he's been the 250 and then the debut and he landed in the 250 again on a recent update. And like you said, it's debut by hand, but I think as far as overall with their top targets, this could be the class that could end up being special. There's about – I did my math the other day as far as the Rivals 100 guy. There's about 10 or 11 guys in the Rivals 100 that have Florida on this sort of as far as, you know, within the top five or top six. Um, obviously, you have all the Palmetto kids, Xavier and Collins, Leonard Taylor, uh, Rayshard Smith. You have a lot of top-tier guys that are already leaning towards Florida pretty heavily. Um, you know, Trevante Rucker's another one. You know, he's a Rivals. He's Rivals 250 now, but potential to get back in that Rivals 100. Um, he's another guy I predict to eventually land back in this class. Um, I think with – and also, too, they had Mika Morris. He's a kid that, you know, it's been a heavy battle between Florida and Georgia. Um, I think if he would announce last week, it probably would have been Georgia. He bumped back his decision with Sam Pittman leaving. But, you know, he's been on Florida's campus, I think, six times over the last year and just recently, too, this past weekend. And basically, basically what I was told – you know, Florida did a really, really good job of selling on that. And there's a lot of guys in the trenches, especially on the defensive side of the ball, that are leaning towards Florida's way right now. 
Uh, but I think that is a class that even be better than this one when it's all said and done. I mean, right now, Florida, he's done a great job of building those relationships. And, you know, Terrence Lewis is another one on Miami Northwestern. He was committed in the class early on, then reopened his recruitment. Um, him and I spoke earlier this week, and he's the number one outside linebacker in the country for 2021. And, you know, Florida's really, really pushing the right bonds with him. Coach Brian Johnson, Christian Robson, those are the coaches recruiting him. And you know, there's a lot, a lot of positive feedback coming from that 2021 class, and especially from a lot of powerhouse schools as well. Well, with that in mind, is Florida going to be more selective here in the 2020 class, just in terms of the numbers, to make sure that they're able to bring in all the guys they want to bring in next year, or is that really not a concern for this 2020 class? Or you know, do they have their eyes set on a few guys, and maybe there are some guys that they might take, but otherwise won't, just because of that 2021 class coming forward? And Corey, be- yeah, before so right- you, Corey, before you answer that one, to go into that, how many can Florida sign? with this class you know, in, in relation to Will's question here? Because I get that question a lot, and I see 27, 29. Can they really take that many? Yeah, 27 is the number I've been hearing consistently. And, I, I, you know, I was actually digging around about that, too, because especially with Simone and D-Lons, you know, with, with Danelle Harris, you got Kendrick. There's a lot of silver lines on board. you got Parrish and Gibbs. I kept digging on the number to make sure it's right. 27 is the number I keep hearing. I have heard 28 going around there, too. I know it kind of goes back and forth, but 27 is the more concrete number I've been hearing as far as that. But, no, as far as being selective, there's about, I would say, a good half dozen prospects as far as the main prospects still on the board to them. You know, Tim Smith is obviously being one. I mean, in, in January, you got the two running backs. You also have got deep back with a tight end target. They already have Odom in the class, so if they don't get him, I, Florida right now is a leader for him. He's another kid. Um, they were actually hoping he could get, you know, signed early, you know, and hopefully get his recruitment wrapped up sooner than later. But it sounds like he's going to drag out to January. He's a guy that obviously has a committable offer, and Florida likes him a lot, but I wouldn't call him a huge loss if he decides to head elsewhere. You know, Tennessee's in there. Uh, but, yeah, I would say Denell Harris, obviously Tim Smith, you know, Gibson Paris, those four. You got Pinder on the board, obviously, too. Um, right now, like I told you before, I'm kind of more lean towards North Carolina. Um, I just don't see Florida sign both of them, I mean, as of right now. I mean, they're already pretty loaded up in the trenches. Um, so those are the three. Those are about the four or five. E.J. Smith. Um, like we know with him, he's on the board too, you know, signing on Wednesday, but I think it's going to be Stanford or A&M. Um, and then you got Sam Brown. So there's about six, seven guys on the board that are concrete targets. Um, and that's not including Doomerville. I expect Marcus Doomerville to sign at LSU. Um, Morvin Joseph, the same type of thing. I'm not listing those guys just because I'm not including them in Florida's class. I think they like said they're going to head elsewhere. But yeah, you have about six or seven guys left on the board. Right now, you only have about four or five spots left, so they have to be fairly selective. Go ahead, Will. Follow it up with one. I know you have one more. No, I mean, that, I guess that you, you've listed five or six guys. I mean, are, do you think that they'll take the full 28 if or 27 or 28 if they have the opportunity then in this class? I do, yeah. I think so. It just, it, it's going to depend, too. If, if Smith signs and they get Danelle Harris, I know, like I said, with Pinder, I think that allows, I think that makes him go to UNC. I'm not saying that's going to be the signing factor. Uh, but those are the two, and then you obviously had in the January you have a running back, a few running back targets on the board, um, and then Sam Brown too. So I think they'll definitely, if they could take the full, they definitely will, because I think it's going to be hard to even avoid that at this point. There's too many guys that have full and really tough, and obviously that running back being lead, and then just with Harris and Tim Smith, that puts you right at 27 there already. Um, and then, like I said, it depends if they kind of part ways with like a deep back with in January, they stop recruiting him as much. Uh, but no, I think they definitely take that full number if possible. I think it's going to be going to be pretty difficult to avoid or not based off the mutual interest from you know Florida different parties. 
Sorry, I'm not uh, asking you to to take away anything from Gators territory or anything, but anything <laughs> uh, I'm going to say positively or negatively, could there what would be a big surprise you think we would see on Wednesday? A big surprise on Wednesday would be if EJ Smith committed the four. That'd be a surprise. I wouldn't. Other than that, I think uh, to me, because I've already put my prediction on, I think Tim Smith, I mean, I wouldn't really call it, I mean, it would be a surprise for fans. It would be more of an excitement. I think EJ Smith, there isn't really too many huge surprises right now as far as on the board. I think it's more that everyone's settled on the top targets where the main guy's board is going to get. Um, but as far as, yeah, I don't think, I think Tim Smith, I haven't predicted a Florida. Um, Danelle Harris, I mean, it's like I said before, that's a 50 50 coin flip for me. Um, I wouldn't call it a surprise if he commits. It's just going to be more excitement for those guys. But, yeah, as far as right now, I think E.J. Smith would be the biggest surprise. And, obviously, it would fill a need at running back, um, obviously, so you don't have to drag that into January and have to worry about those extra scholarship spots. Um, but, yeah, I think E.J. Smith, that would be the biggest surprise. While Tim Smith and Donnell Harris, it's kind of well known that, you know, Florida's in the top two. And Smith is trending to Florida. I, I don't know how many people have went on record saying they think Smith's going to Florida, but – you know, that's the one I'm I'm definitely leaning towards for that. And then Harris, same type of thing. You even saw this graphic. He's committed to A&M, but, you know, he puts Florida in the ceremony graphic with them and A&M. So that's recruiting in 2019 for you. Absolutely. Will, man, you have anything else? No, nah, it just sounds good. We're going to have a lot of defensive linemen coming in to, to fill some gaps. And, I mean, Grantham's scheme really calls for it. So I'm excited to see what these guys can do. Yeah, big size, too, especially with the tackle, man. Like I said, inside, I mean, you definitely – all those kids check out the box as far as sheer size in the trenches. Another kid too, just far I want to mention too, is Johnny Brown. Um, he's a kid I, I'm as far as guys down the road who can make an impact. He's one I'm very high on. You know, as far as he doesn't really talk about too much. He's another kid that's pretty well reserved. Plays receiver in high school. Doesn't do many interviews, but he's a kid I covered even back at Tampa Catholic when he was a freshman. And he's a guy you watch him on field. He's explosive. He's not he's not as big as the other guys. More six two. 255, 260, but, you know, he puts on about 20 pounds over the next couple of years. I think you have a stout kid who's explosive. You can move him around, and he's a guy I think doesn't get talked about a lot, but has, you know, has the potential to definitely make an impact in turn has in a couple of years. Corey, one more before we let you go. We'll have to wait on this one, too. Avante Williams, uh, you know, the safety there, decommitted from Oregon. Uh, we haven't really mentioned him much uh, in, in listing yep. everybody yep. for early signing day. Is that one I know we'll have to wait on? Uh, you, yeah. If, uh, how about uh, how about that one as far as numbers go, I guess? Yeah, so that's the other one, too. For, so with Florida, what I think is going to happen, if they can reel in Avante Williams, I'll break that down here in a second, I think they have the opportunity to kind of move Mark Britt to receiver. They have they, they recruit him as a safety athlete, but in my opinion, reeling in, you know, I mean, you already have multiple safeties in this class. You got McDaniel, uh, you got Rashad Torrance, you know, you got Mark Britt. So I feel like I don't, I'm not sure they would actually take four safeties. I think they have the opportunity to push Britt to the other side of the ball. And I think he'd be more fine with that. He's a kid. He's a, he grew up as a wide receiver. That was his natural position. Uh, but I've always kind of said with Avante Williams, my prediction a few months ago, um, I kind of um, you know went on my site and said, I think eventually if he re- he'll reopen his recruitment. Because I think a lot of people looked at the Oregon commitment. Like he liked Oregon. He had a good relationship with the staff. But, you look at the distance, um, just his situation, I just didn't think it fit him. I didn't think he would actually, you know, stay true to that commitment. I thought eventually he reopened it, and he did. And I always kind of thought he would take an official visit to Florida in January, maybe Georgia too. I know Miami, he was committed to them as a freshman. But I always thought if Florida gets him on campus in January late in the process, I just think it could just work out perfectly as far as the timing for both parties. 
I still kind of feel that way right now. He's not signing early, like you said, Dave. He's going to drag it out into January, take some visits. Um, Ford, I'll be shocked if they don't get an official. You know, they're one of the schools that's been linked to his recruitment for quite some time. Um, and that's my – I'm not going to go on record and say, hey, Ford's my prediction this second because a lot can change. He could schedule a bunch of visits here in the next week or two. Uh, but Florida right now, I think they're in a position where they definitely could, you know, inch ahead and take that lead just based off the timing. And, you know, getting him for an official visit in January, I think it definitely could work, you know, basically for them, especially towards the end of it. Awesome, awesome work, Corey. Uh, let our listeners know, man, where they can uh, – what, what you guys will be having on uh, – have going on at Gators Territory the next couple of days leading up to early signing day. Yeah, we'll have actually a bunch of individual video breakdowns here in the next couple of days. We'll also have signed day capsules for each player, you know, why the, each kid chose Florida, you know, full analysis with highlights for each kid. Um, as of right now, I'll probably be on the road going to Sebastian River um, to go to Timmy, Timothy Smith's announcement here on Wednesday. Um, there's going to be tons, tons and tons of content, well over a dozen pieces of uh, content that will be published throughout the day. And um, definitely, like I said, all but four kids right now are slated to uh, sign early. So about 20 kids right now are about to sign early. It's going to be more than that based off, you know, 20 plus based off, you know, the projected additions they're going to get as well. Um, so, yeah, we'll have tons of content throughout the whole day, and we'll definitely keep you guys up to date with everything for the Gators. All right. That is Corey Bender from the Rivals Network Gators Territory site. Corey, man, thanks. Uh, thank you so much for uh, joining here, joining us here on Gators Breakdown and uh, all the insight. Yeah, thanks a lot, Dave. Thanks for having me on. All right. All right, we'll uh, – <laughs> Dan Mullen, of course, uh, on Monday had his uh, press conference uh, for uh, yeah, recruiting, a little preview for early signing day and also uh, the bowl game as well. So he uh, was asked, of course, and it's been a hot topic, uh, of course, with the NFL uh, and Dan Mullen's interest, uh, if he have interest, I guess, uh, in the NFL. And I thought it was – it's been a, I guess – it blew up last week because Bruce Feldman uh, and Andy Staples had mentioned Dan Mullen's name in relation uh, to the Dallas Cowboys job. And he was asked about uh, he, he, he Mullen was asked about it last week and didn't necessarily really completely shut down the idea. Uh, but then was asked about it again at this press conference uh, in relation to the Dallas Cowboys job. Well, look, first. Jason Garrett has, hasn't even been fired from the Cowboys yet. So uh, you know, if he was to get fired, uh, you know, I think it looks like Urban Meyer, Lincoln Riley are at the top of the list. And you know, I really doubt the top of the list is all college guys. Uh, so uh, I think Mullen would be further down the list behind some NFL guys as well. Uh, of course, there's the Dak Prescott connection. But, you know, Mullen really likes it at Florida. He said all the right things at his press conference in regards to the NFL. Uh, he started off by saying he hasn't even had time to consider what it would entail to be an NFL coach and, have, and, and having to get everything together to, to, to be that type of coach. And, uh, look, you have to take him for his word there. And, uh, look, the season just ended. Uh, he's been on the road, uh, been on the road recruiting. Um, plus, I'm sure he hasn't even been contacted. So, no need to even think about it unless there's something to think about uh, from from Mullen's point of view there. Uh, so he went on to say, "quote I think our guys know I plan on being here for a long time." Uh, in the quote there, and he look, there's been a little conversation about a contract extension. He was asked about that as well, uh, and he's you know he says he likes where he's at, and he says he feels good about his job security as he should. So uh, you know so if if he's contacted, it may be worth keeping an eye on, even if we I don't know if we even hear about it or not. But, you know, right now, feel good about Dan Mullen being uh, at Florida for a long time. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, when you're 
when you've got a head coach who's getting courted or at least people are bringing his name up with the NFL, it's a good thing, right? It means you're winning a bunch of games. <laughs> and it means that people have recognized his on-field coaching acumen. And that's maybe the biggest difference between a guy like Urban Meyer or a guy like Lincoln Riley, um, you know, is that those guys have Riley maybe a little bit less so than Meyer, but you know, Meyer's always had the best players everywhere he's gone. Now certainly that's meant that he's won a whole lot of games, but you do have to wonder whether whether having the better players in each circumstance makes it a little bit easier for him. Mullen hasn't necessarily had that. I mean, certainly when he was at Mississippi State, he didn't have that. And he hasn't had that when he when he's been at Florida in some big games as well. But Florida still performed pretty well against teams like Auburn and LSU last year and 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 admirably against Georgia and LSU this year, even they came up short. So I do think that there's a reason to believe that that Mullen might be interested at some point in the future. I mean, especially if you consider that he's he hasn't appeared to be an elite recruiter yet. And it, that's a huge part of the college job and not part of the NFL job at all. So I can see how it might appeal to him. And certainly you always say you're going to listen because otherwise your agent tells you to find a new agent. So I, I'm not, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that he's saying that he's going to listen because at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's his job to get more money for himself, more money for his staff, more facilities, all the things that he needs to build up the program. And, and that's what we expect the head coaches to do. Yeah. It would not surprise me in the least whatsoever. Uh, in about two or three weeks, we'll hear of there'll be some kind of contract <laughs> talk. Between, he even admitted to that uh, you know, Scott Strickland has been on the road a lot because of the college football playoff committee and all that stuff. So he made it sound like there have been some initial conversations here about uh, a contract extension. So, look, I don't think there's much to worry about, uh, of course. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, the, the one connection from Bruce Feldman, it was like two plus two plus two plus two equals Mullen. You know, it was, it was, they, they, they found some way to get to Mullen because of the Urban Meyer connection of, uh, you know, the Dallas Cowboys would be interested in Urban Meyer. And, well, maybe it wouldn't be Urban Meyer. Maybe they should be interested in Dan Mullen because of Dak Prescott there. So uh, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah who had, he was just trying to make connections there. So it was nothing official. Uh, it kind of blew up. I, I kind of helped it blow up uh, on Twitter. But look, it was talk, it, it was being discussed. I'm not going to sit there and, and and not put it out there just because I don't want it to happen, of course. But uh, you know, hopefully Dan Mullen will be the head coach of Florida for a long time and we can enjoy uh, many more wins and hopefully a win over Georgia pretty soon. Yeah, man. How dare how dare you stir things up? It's just it's just you know irresponsible journalism of you there, Dan. Look, I mean, the reality is is that Mullen is going to be in demand. This is the silly season. There's no games going yeah. on. Everybody's talking recruiting. Everybody's talking about what might happen in the NFL. I mean, when was the last time we had a college guy get hired into the NFL? Anyway, it's been a while since that's happened, and somebody's been successful. I mean, what? Maybe Pete Carroll. Is, is the last time a, a college guy got hired in and was successful. And Carroll obviously had NFL experience before he went to USC. So I think the profile that you look for in a head coach, a first-time head coach in the NFL, Mullen doesn't necessarily fit that. Though I would say that with Lamar Jackson and some of the success that he's had in Baltimore, you know, Mullen's offense maybe looks a little bit more appealing to a team that – that has a guy who can run a little bit and and so maybe he'll get a look but you know here's the reality is that after his second year Jim McElwain was was hedging for a contract extension and I'm sure that Mullen's doing the same thing and again if if the NFL calls I think you have to listen because you need to know what your opportunities are out there and at the end of the day you only get more position you only get more leverage by doing it and and that's what he's doing yeah i think the cowboys would probably be probably be the the one NFL job he, you know, would say, okay, I I, I want to go do that. But the the other side of that is, 
Dan Mullen, I, I've kind of labeled as an alpha male, and he even kind of said it in his press conference today. He was, look, I'm at Florida. I am kind of the owner, the CEO, the general manager. I, you know, the program at Florida is, is basically under him. Yes, he has a boss and Scott Strickland and all that, but everybody knows pretty much the football head coach, especially at a football school, has more power than pretty much anybody else on campus. So, as he said, he is the guy at the University of Florida. You go to Dallas, you have to deal with Jerry Jones. Uh, and that would not be easy for a guy to me like Urban Meyer or Dan Mullen, who's used to you know being able in, in control. And we'll back to your point of uh, of an excess, successful uh, you know college coach, NFL coach. You know lately, you don't even have to be successful in college to get a job in in the NFL. So, <laughs> so Cliff Kingsbury is not uh, <laughs> is not a shining beacon. At least it doesn't look like that in Arizona right now. I, um, you know, look, I, I think there's a lot of truth to what you say about Mullen being the being essentially the the guy who calls all the shots in Gainesville. At the same time, you know, if you want to distinguish yourself from Saban, you can't really do it in college because yeah. you know Saban's the guy who went to the NFL, couldn't hack it, and then comes back to college. You go to the NFL and you win, you can say you did something Saban didn't do. So, um, you know, these guys all have big egos. You don't really know what their hopes and dreams are. Um, But certainly Mullen has made it clear that Florida is the job that he wanted at the college level. He's got that job, and I expect him to be here for a while. Absolutely. Uh, Moving on here and uh, uh, just kind of rehashing what Mullen was uh, discussing at his uh, Monday press conference. And if there were any concerns about being able to to get up for the game versus Virginia uh, in uh, in the Orange Bowl, because you know they're they're not a highly ranked team uh, that you're going against, like kind of like Michigan there, or or a team like you wanted to get payback like Michigan last year. And look, um, Mullen says you know, he he's told his team, hey, look, the, the Virginia played for their conference championship, they won their division. Uh, and you look at what they did to get there, that kind of an auto-bid situation with the way that they're tied into the, it, to the, to the ACC. Uh, but he even said, you know, bowl games, it's a lot of times, a lot of the times, it is more about you, uh, the mental, physical toughness part of it. Uh, so, you know, can you go execute at a high level when there's not really much to play for except for yourself, except to go out there uh, and get a win? So, you know, you as a team, you have to come together. And Look, last year in, in the Peach Bowl, there was – if you look at it, you can say there was so much more to play for. It was Dan Mullen's first year. You're trying to bounce back from a four-win season. You want to end the season on a high note. It's your head coach's first season. You want to go out uh, and put something together to, 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 to build a foundation off of, and that's exactly what they did with the Peach Bowl. And, look, I have no problem in admitting look, uh, and saying, hey, look, Florida probably did want that game more than Michigan did. Michigan disappointed uh, with, with their – outlook uh, of the season in Florida, as I said, bouncing back, uh, trying to make something happen, uh, it, it, especially the seniors, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, or, or guys who were leaving early, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, C.C. Jefferson, those guys coming off of a disappointing season under Jim McElwain and now able to, to go play in a New Year's Six game and a lot to play for. That's not the scenario that we get this year. Uh, Florida kind of lived up to the expectation of being a top-10 team, uh, and making the Orange Bowl, but not necessarily getting the type of opponent they thought they would get in that type of game. Yeah, I mean, I think two things can be true, right? I mean, the first thing is is that I, I do think that um, checked out's the wrong word, but I do think that Gators fans are a little bit deflated with the matchup, and I think the players are probably feeling that um, as well on their side, right? I mean, it's a hell of a lot more exciting to be 
facing a Baylor team that's in the top 10 than it is to be facing a Virginia team who's just hanging on to a top 25 rating because the committee wanted to make the game look better. And so it's natural that they're going to come out flat in this game potentially, and and that's something that Mullen's going to have to guard against and I think is indicative of how good of a motivator he is if they do come out a house on fire to start the game just because if he's able to do that, then I think it's a good coaching job by him. But you know, the big thing here, I think, is that Virginia's the perfect matchup for Florida. So they're they're terrible against the pass. They're 93rd in FBS in yards per pass attempt allowed. And obviously, that's what Mullen wants to do with this particular offense in Kyle Trask. And I'm sure they'll be working on some things in bull practice to try to get the offensive line a little bit more effective in the running game. And they'll probably, if P. Ryan plays, they'll get the ball to him quite a bit. But at the end of the day, Florida wants to throw the ball. Virginia's not any good against the, against the pass. And then on the other side, you've got Bryce Perkins, who, when you go back and look at his stats, they look eerily similar to Felipe Franks from 2018. So a game manager, not a guy who's going to necessarily make the difference in a game unless he's able to do it with his legs. And and that's really the place where Florida's defense is going to have to focus, which means that a guy like C.J. Henderson not being there isn't necessarily as important as maybe some of those guys who were missing in the Michigan game last year, where those were guys that Florida could specifically target. You know, Devin Bush not being there was, meant that uh, the running game for Florida could be used to isolate him. I think Virginia's going to have trouble isolating the fact that Henderson's not there. I think the front seven for Florida is really going to be the story here. And if they can stop Perkins from running, then I'm not sure he has the arm to be able to make them pay. So. I think the I think the matchup is perfect for Florida to come out a little bit flat and still come out on top, which, you know, I, I think is probably the scenario I'd be predicting, at least right now at this point in time. Yeah, um, Mullen did uh, announce it did look like it does look like Jabari Zuniga will play. I, I can't see it. I mean, the way he just missed the second half of the season uh, and that ankle, we heard time and time again, he would probably would be good to go late in the season. This is about another month to get rest, but I don't really know if you risk it uh, right now if you're him. Jonathan Grenard says he will play. He was uh, interviewed today as well, said he was not missing this game. He did briefly think about uh, not playing in this game, but he will be there uh, playing in the Orange Bowl as well. And Mari Bernie looks like he'll be good to go. Sean Davis still nursing the hamstring, not practicing right now. Uh, but for the most part, except everybody who was out with season injuries uh, players like jeremiah moon uh will not play but most of the part the gators will be healthy going toward the the orange bowl and we'll uh lastly before we wrap this uh episode up oh yeah, oh, yeah joe burrow win the hobbit oh, yeah, joe burrow yeah he win the hobbit for lsu targets <laughs> that, that's one of the better imitations i've heard dave uh, well, the best part, I mean, Burrow was like cracking up there on the stage and, and, and tearing up, and Orgeron was just sort of sitting there. It yeah. was like, man, like, come on, come on, Ed, like, shed a tear. <laughs> come on, buddy. But uh, yeah, it was an exciting Saturday. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure anybody even watched the ceremony because we all knew who was going to back. I was driving back from Disney. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, obviously I had a vested interest in seeing whether whether Burrow pulled him pulled him the Heisman. He had won all the awards prior to that. So, um, no, I think there are actually some things we can learn about the um, sort of his high school prospects and, and what that portended in terms of how good he could be. And and obviously I've sort of pointed that out over time, but also in an article this week looking at Anthony Richardson and Kyle Trask and what that sort of holds for Florida moving forward. Um, I didn't have anything about Emory Jones in there, but that doesn't mean I think he's bad. It just, it just <laughs> means that I didn't, uh, I didn't include him in the analysis because I'm sort of, you know, hey, the new guy coming in and then the incumbent. Yeah. So, um He'll. I'll, I'm sure I'll be dealing with Emory Jones in in a separate article, not in the not too distant future. But yeah, I mean, congrats to Joe Burrow. He had a heck of a year. 
Um, certainly that's, <laughs> it's a, it's a guy that I would have loved to have had on Florida's roster, but it didn't happen that way. And, and it really does show the difference that an elite quarterback can make. I mean, LSU has been recruiting at a pretty high level under Orgeron, but has been, you know, basically yeah. right around where Florida has been struggling to compete with Alabama and Georgia and, and even Auburn in some capacity. And then they get a quarterback in there who's chucking it all over the yard. And obviously Joe Brady has something to do with that too, but you know, they get a quarterback in there who who's chucking it all over the yard, and all of a sudden, nobody can beat him. And, you know, I think it just really indicates, especially this day and age of college football, what an elite, elite quarterback can get you. And if Florida can get one of those guys in, I like the Gators' chances. Yeah, hopefully so. Yeah, hopefully we see uh, the, the steps that Kyle Trask can make uh, for, for next year. Or Emory Jones, if he comes out in springtime, like you said, and uh, he's the guy that, that, that proves he's the, the worth. Or even uh, two years down the road, Anthony Richardson's uh, – uh, that type of guy. And speaking of him, Will, but you know, he is practicing uh, for, with, with the bowl with, with the team now for for, for bowl practices. He is on uh, campus there, uh, as as is Josh Braun uh, there too. So, um, and you and I, we've talked behind the scenes a little bit, and and you brought this up in relation to Joe Burrow, and and the reason you kind of pinned the article that you did was you, you go back and look at things like completion percentage uh, and, and what Joe Burrow was able to do. And we did notice it. And uh, well, heck, all the Gator fans noticed it. But the, the jump Anthony Richardson took from his junior season to his senior season. And look, I, I followed it really close because he was training here in Jacksonville with Denny Thompson. And yeah, I, I talked to Denny a little bit too. And he it, look, he even said on the podcast, going back to the spring, when Carson Beck committed to Georgia, I asked him about, about Anthony Richardson. He said Anthony Richardson had the highest ceiling of all the quarterbacks he was training with at the time. That, Included Carson Beck. That included Sims, uh, who uh, who was committed to FSU. So you know he, he he saw his quarterback trainer saw the potential, and then fall rolls around, and we see the improvement Anthony Richardson made from his junior season to his senior season. And will you know for something that you look at? Look, it's only one year. The improvement was only one year, but in something that you you know really take to heart in in, in looking at high school quarterbacks, Anthony Richardson made that improvement, and now we'll see if it translates. Yeah, I mean, it really boils down to if you go out and you just throw a ball to a guy standing 15 yards away from you, it's a whole lot easier to complete all 10, you know, throw 10 passes. It's really easy to complete 10 of them. You put a guy right next to him and you got to sort of throw it over him and around him and all of a sudden you start missing. And it's really as simple as that, that when you look at completion percentage, I don't think it has to do with a guy being able to fit the ball in tight spaces. I think it has to do with a guy making the right decision, finding the one-on-one coverage, finding the mismatch, you know, the wide receiver on the linebacker or his speedy wide receiver who gets isolated on a safety. Those are the sorts of things where you start to see that jump. So I think it's indicative that Richardson's starting to make some of those reads now, the difference is, is when you look at Burrow, he basically came out as a sophomore and was doing that yeah. in high school. And I mean, people talk about the level of competition, but here's the deal. I mean, I've gone back and looked at high school completion percentage and how it translates. It translates really, really well. And the limitation that you see is arm strength. So guys like Luke Del Rio had very, very high completion percentages in high school, but their yards per attempt were a lot less. And when you look at Richardson, his yards and he had per high attempt are, And he had high completion percentages in spring games. <laughs> well, you know, look, I think Del Rio, if he'd have been able to stay healthy, would have been yeah. serviceable. I, but I don't think he had the arm strength and in order to, um, you know, I, I think being the son of a, a son of a linebacker makes a difference for him in terms of being able to read the defense. But it doesn't matter if you can't get the ball there because you don't have the arm strength. And I think that's something you need to take into account is if a guy's got a 70 percent completion percentage, but he's only averaging, you know, eight or nine yards to throw. 
that's a whole lot different than if a guy's at 70% and he's averaging 13 yards a throw. And and Richardson isn't quite up to 70% this year, but he's, you know, averaging, I think, 12.2 yards per attempt or something like that. So um, there's a lot of good to come from it. Certainly when you look at a guy like Carson Beck, who's actually regressed this year, I think he was like 55% completion percentage last year last year and then this past year to 48%. So even regressed between his junior and senior year, obviously we're glad Richardson isn't showing that profile. But um, the other thing is, is that he does have an ability to run the ball, which gives him more time to develop as a thrower. And that's one of the things that you also look for in a quarterback, particularly in Mullen's offense is the ability to sort of um, get the defense in situations. It doesn't want to be in by the ability to, by the ability to run the ball. And then, you know, you get one-on-one coverage just by virtue of being able to do that. So I think Richardson's going to have the ability to do that a little bit, but obviously we're probably a couple of years from seeing him out there on the field in any major action for the Gators, barring some, um, you know, Skylar Mortonwig type disaster <laughs> next year. And, uh, and I, you know, I think that's probably one of the things that he appreciates about coming to Florida is he's going to have a couple of years to learn. And then when it's finally his turn to take the keys, he's going to be ready to go. Yep, and that'll be uh, conversations we'll have uh, all throughout spring and stuff coming up because, believe me, I've had the conversation a lot on Twitter lately of who should the quarterback be next fall because of Embry Jones' mobility or what Kyle Trask was able to do this past year. So plenty, plenty of time to talk about all that type of stuff. So, Will, uh, I know it's coming up this week, uh, reading reaction, um, uh, early signing day, uh, of course, but uh, I know it's your anniversary, right? So, uh, yeah, so so yeah. Wednesday is my 15th wedding anniversary, so I will not be following early signing day on Twitter. Yep. Though uh, my guess is is that there will be some stuff up on the site this week, just sort of looking at the looking at the class. Well, you know, one of the interesting things is that the class is nearly full at this yeah. point, really. I mean, the last couple of years, Mullins really had to push in the final in the final stretch, and and he's not going to have to do that this year. He's going to get the vast majority of his guys. I mean, you, he, he could claim a full class with the guys that are going to be on, with the guys who will have signed on, on early signing day, which is a little bit odd, at least for, for Mullins thus far in his tenure at Florida, which means, you know, sort of like Corey said, he's going to be able to focus on those guys, two or three guys, roll out the red carpet and really get the guys that he wants. So, um you know, it's exciting. I, I think, I think you know, the expectation coming out was, or at least the hope was that Mullen was going to recruit like Meyer. That hasn't necessarily been the case yet, but he's recruiting a heck of a lot better than McElwain, and certainly the results on the field are are significantly better as well. So it's exciting time to be a Gator and exciting to, to see the new Gators who are coming in this week. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Will Salmon would join me Wednesday night uh, as we'll take a look at uh, – Early signing period, uh, so yeah, early signing period. You know, Wednesday is the first day of it, but it actually is a period there. So I know some guys will be making their decision. Uh, all the all the guys for Florida will be making their decision on Wednesday, but there's some guys who will be waiting until Thursday, Friday, uh, all that kind of stuff. So Will Salmon would join me Wednesday night uh, as we'll we'll be taking a look at and reviewing early signing period. Uh, for the Gators. So that's Will Miles. You can find his site at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Thanks again to Corey Bender from the Rivals Network, Gators Territory site there. Great insight, great insight there. And make sure you, uh, you follow those guys uh, for uh, all your signing day coverage uh, coming up Wednesday as well. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.